0: You're listening to Master Your Magic, a travel podcast following the wild tales and transformations of some of the greatest adventurers today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Master Year Travel Podcast. I have a very special and exciting guest who kind of left me on a cliffhanger last time we were talking, and I have not yet heard the end of her amazing story. So I'm excited because we're going to kind of backtrack today so that you can hear the beginning of this amazing story and she can finish it up for us. And um, let me introduce her. Amy Yip is the founder of amyyipcoaching.com. She's a life transformation and mental fitness coach who works with high achieving women to let go of the shoulds and be the author of their own life story. Because if you don't tell your story, someone else will. After more than 16 years of building and leading global teams in organizations like Google, Clorox, and Booz Allen, Amy left the corporate world in January, 2020, sold all of her belongings in her New York City apartment, and took a one-way flight to Ghana with her husband to volunteer at a breast cancer nonprofit. The plan was to volunteer until May then travel the world, but COVID changed those plans and she ended up stuck in Ghana for 7 months. One of her greatest learnings on her life journey so far is that your mindset, not your circumstances, make all the difference in your happiness and success. Whew, girl, that's an amazing bio, and I love it. Amy, I'm going to pass it over to you so you can say hi to my tribe and introduce yourself.
1: Hello, hello, and thank you for having me. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm Amy Yip. I'm a life transformation and mental fitness coach, and uh, I started. I was born and raised in the maryland area you know most people end up always staying here so i always knew i wanted something different and in my mid-20s moved to california lived in la for four years then san francisco for five years and then my husband who was then my boyfriend at the time was living in la we decided to move in together moved to new york Figured we should do that before we get too old. And then (laughs) after that, I mean, that was our launching point for Ghana.
0: That's amazing. And I want to actually ask you something because I've never heard the term mental fitness. And I thought it was Mm -hmm. such a like unique and beautiful way to say that. And I wanted you to kind of touch on that a little bit more because I'm so used to hearing like mental health or mental this or that. So, can you explain what you mean by mental fitness?
1: Yes. Um, so, mental fitness is your ability to handle life's challenges with positive mindset rather than negative mindset, and it is essentially, uh, you know, you can think about it in parallel to physical fitness. So, if you're Physically fit, you could climb big mountains, you would not be stressing your body, you know, but if you're not physically fit, you'd be climbing a big mountain and you'd be huffing, you'd be puffing, you'd be sweating, you'd be all sore, right? Same thing with mental fitness. The more mentally fit you are, the more you'll be, uh, better you'll be able to handle life's challenges. And the thing that's happening all around us now with COVID, the, you know, politics and social unrest, Those are like mountains of challenges. And so for many of us, we don't have the mental fitness to be able to handle that. So what ends up happening? We're stressed, we're frustrated, we're anxious, we're upset. And if you're mentally fit, you're better able to handle what comes your way because you know what? Life will always throw crap at us. Oh my God. being able to handle that. Yeah. You're
0: speaking my language right now. Like so literally today is kind of like a weird day. And I didn't even know, but it's like today's day of the dead, uh, mm-hmm. Dia, Dia oh. de los Muertes, yeah. or mu- Muertos, I should say. Um, but it's also the, the anniversary of the day my dad passed away last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of happened to fall on the same day. But I was like, Reflecting on last year, I was like, oh my God, like it like shit was hitting the fan right around this time last year. It was when the election was happening Mm -hmm. and everybody was losing their shit. COVID was like full force. People were going right back into lockdown. My dad had just passed away and I ended up getting these lilies from his death and my cat ate the lily and got like poisoned from it and had to get rushed to like the emergency room. He's he's okay right now. But um, it was like everything came crashing down on me and it's so funny because one question I want to ask you um, Mm -hmm. is what exactly – like so when you go to a gym – You lift Mm -hmm. weights to become stronger or you run on a treadmill to become stronger. You know, we all have these different tools and like, you know, I have these ways about myself when things are really bad that I'm like, well, shit, like now I want to like smoke a cigarette or something like that. But it's like, (laughs) that's not the thing that's actually going to help. So I would love for you to touch a little bit on like, what are the tools that people use for mental fitness that can really help?
1: Yeah. I love the fact that you use the analogy of using weights at the gym because it's the same thing. And I also want to caveat that um mental fitness is not the equivalent of mental health because a lot of times when I say mental fitness, people think, oh, it's like mental health and you know, something's wrong with me and I need to fix myself. So it comes from the perspective, just like physical fitness, that you are good just where you are, but can you be one percent better today than you were yesterday? Mm. Right. I there like was there was a guy Maynard who climbed Kilimanjaro without limbs. So it doesn't matter where your starting point is. You can become more physically fit. You can also become more mentally fit. And mental fitness is about being proactive, not reactive. Mm. And so you know, I want to make sure that that's distinguished between mental health and mental fitness. So when it comes to mental fitness, essentially there's been a lot of research done and it's like a culmination of a lot of that research. And what they found is there are three muscles that make up mental fitness. So it's kind of like you know your bicep, your tricep and your shoulders. You know? right. So you can think of it as three different muscles and those three different muscles work together. So one of the muscles is called the saboteur interceptor. And what the research basically finds is, and and you could think of this as the survivor brain and essentially what our brains were created to do was to look for danger, right? Back to our caveman, cavewoman days, we were constantly looking for that saber tooth tiger and when is it going to come after me? And I've got to always be careful. And Uh we all tend to have this survivor brain. And it's it's a good thing because when saber-toothed tiger comes, you want to be ready for it, right? The thing is, if you're constantly looking around for the saber-toothed tiger, that's not good. Right. So it's knowing when to shift. So the saboteur-interceptor muscle is all around understanding how we tend to self-sabotage. And the research has kind of narrowed it down into nine different characters or saboteurs. So those include the judge, which many of us know as the inner critic, but the judge also judges other people and situations and circumstances. So the judge might say COVID is bad, 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 right? So there's the judge, the controller, the hyperachiever, the stickler, pleaser, avoider, restless, uh, victim, hypervigilant, and hyperrational. So there's 10 of them.
0: Oh my god! In my brain, I was like, "I know, I'm that one. Maybe a little bit of that one."
1: (laughs) And there, there is an assessment you can take that will tell you your top ones. But you know, that muscle is all about knowing who your saboteur is, knowing all the lies it tells you, and being able to intercept it before it takes over and you make decisions based on it.
0: Girl, this is fascinating. Like, (laughs) and that's just one part of the brain. That's really, really amazing.
1: Yeah. That's just one part of the brain. And then there's the other muscle, which is the sage. And the sage is the inner wisdom. And it actually lives in an entirely different part of your brain. And so if I were to put your brain under an MRI scan, I would be able to see which side is being activated. Wow. And as children, you were able to activate both sides. As we became adults, one side quieted and one side got louder. Guess which side quieted and which side got louder.
0: Pretty much anyone who went to public schools same <laughs> <the laughs> side got quieted, I think <laughs> hmm.
1: yeah so so the whole idea is you know those are those are two of the muscles, and then you uh you have a third muscle also, which is around um uh being able to catch or uh, self-command. It's called self-command. And the is reason- Is
0: like your action muscle?
1: It is. It's it's the muscle that helps you to shift from one to the other.
0: So like so, almost like, okay, I recognize, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm probably either the avoider or controller. Like I don't know which <laughs> one, but I, I'm assuming one of those. Like, okay, my instinct right now is to avoid the situation completely. Mm-hmm. How can I shift to the sage? And that mm-hmm. muscle is helping me get from there to there. Yes, correct. Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. And, and be, because when you're emotionally triggered by one of the saboteurs, it is hard to just be like, oh, let me shift to the sage part, right? Like, so the self-command is a muscle that you can build to be able to shift. Mm. go into that stage. So those are the three muscles. That's what mental fitness is all about. And you can practice all three. And it's just like going to the gym, lifting those dumbbells and building all three of those muscles so that when a situation comes, you can better handle it. Because it's just like physical fitness. You can't wait till marathon day to be like, oh, I'm going to go run 26 miles, right? You're going to
0: be pretty tired. <laughs> right, exactly. You're going to break yeah. yourself down. No, that's amazing. That's a really different way of thinking about things and I I feel like the universe needs a lot more mental fitness coaches and people mm-hmm. helping others through this because yes, we are becoming more aware of mental health, but like mm-hmm. it's still so not talked about in the ways that it should be. There's no like it's just not supported. I don't feel as much as it could be. And on top of that, I love to know things like you just shared. So that way I can be like, oh, I understand what's happening. And like, I have more tools in my tool belt that I can like help myself with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, like, like, we can even practice one. Oh, I'm so down. One, Let's do it. One, yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh my so God. You, of course. You can keep your eyes open. You can keep it closed. Okay. And I want you to take two fingertips thumb and a forefinger and rub them together with such attention. You can feel all the fingertip ridges. Just notice all the sensations of touch. Notice the temperatures and just feel all those fingertip ridges. Okay. And that was maybe about 10 seconds or so. So 10 seconds equals one rep. And if I were to put your brain under an MRI scan right now, we would be able to notice that your saboteur side of the brain ever so slightly quieted. And then the sage side ever so slightly became activated. And obviously that's like doing one bicep curl. It's not going to change anything you know, like major, but imagine if you do it longer.
0: What about that makes things shift? Is it that you're, I mean, or is it that you're distracting yourself from this ego-sided place or what exactly makes things move? Because I do <laughs> feel calmer.
1: Yeah, it's about focused attention. So that's just one of many different ways you can do things with um, different sensations. So you could do it with smell. You could do it with listening. You can do it with uh, like visuals and looking at things. You can even mm. wiggle your toes and feel all ten of your toes as you wiggle them around and really focus on that. So it's very much nice. about focused attention and being present. For many people who have a mindfulness practice, right? Like it's very similar. Mindfulness practice is sort of a form of self command. Mm. But let's say that you're in the middle of a meeting or in the middle of something where you can't close your eyes. Like for most people, if you're in a meeting, someone says something that pisses you off, you can't be like, oh, I'm going to step out of here right now and meditate for 10 minutes and I'll be back. You can't do that, right? But you can keep your eyes open and you can do this fingertip thing. Nobody will know you're doing it, but you can have a focused attention and shift.
0: That's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was very course. Very great way to start off the podcast. <laughs> it's
1: something I'm super passionate about. So I'm always happy to share it.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Well, I hope I mean, I would love to get a coaching session with you someday. So I hope anybody else listening that felt like <laughs> that kind of shift too, I'm like, go go after this girl. Um, so I would love to ask
1: mm-hmm.
0: how you got from A to B because you <laughs> used to be a part of the corporate world, hardcore corporate world. Can you explain like You said, were you in LA at that time or what was happening then?
1: So I would say that the start of my journey um, of really wanting a big shift was when I was in the Bay Area. So I was a brand manager in corporate America at Clorox on Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing. Wow.
0: (laughs) I do (laughs) love ranch dressing. I'm not going to lie, but (laughs) it's probably really bad for me.
1: Most people... Don't realize Clorox owns Hidden Valley Ranch dressing, so
0: that kind of freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you're like I yeah. could go into detail about it, yeah. but
1: I won't. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go into detail. But you know, we were launching a Greek yogurt dressing at the time, and I still remember sitting in a room with our team lawyer and asking, "What's the minimum amount of Greek yogurt we have to put into the dressing to legally be able to call it Greek yogurt dressing?" And I just sat there and I'm like, "Wait, is this really what my life has come to?" Like, uh, I'm tricking the consumer into buying this product that's not even good for them and doing it in a way that I'm just like thinking about cost savings and it just it went against all my values and the things that matter to me. And so at the time, I had quit my job at Clorox, uh, and I was going to do this like eat, pray, love thing cuz I had no clue what I wanted to do next. I just knew I wasn't happy and being in that job wasn't going to help me figure out what was next.
0: Right. What was your, I guess, eat, pray, love plan at the time? Uh, it was. So
1: I was taking barista lessons because I figured there's coffee shops all over the world. Oh, cool! <laughs> and if I run out of money, I could work at a coffee shop. And Lady, uh huh. My, my plan was I would start in Tanzania. Uh, I would. I found a nonprofit over there teaching women business skills. I've always been really passionate about working with women, empowering women. Very so cool. So I ha- was going to go to Tanzania and then I was just going to travel indefinitely around Africa and then, you know, through Europe and I didn't really have a plan. My plan was to not have a plan because I felt like for most of my life, it was always really planned out.
0: Totally. So it was like so, the plan is to not have a plan so I can actually breathe and think about
1: things for a sec. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What made you choose Tanzania?
1: uh, It was a friend told me about Kilimanjaro. (laughs) Yeah. Kilimanjaro was right there. Did you climb it? I did uh, a few years after. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. That's amazing. Was it hard?
1: It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because on the last night you start, or the last day, you have to start at like 10 p.m. and it's freezing cold. And you're just hiking in the dark, going up this... The the ground is made of these small little pebbles. I think they call it scree. So you take one foot up and you slide down a little, and you take another foot up and you slide down a little. And it just feels like this ongoing thing. And you look up and you just see like headlamps, everybody's headlamps going
0: to
1: forever. And you're just like, oh my gosh, how long is it going to take me to get there? And your water freezes when you get to the top. So you have to like keep it close to your body. Like it's just. And and it's hard to breathe and yeah I remember a few times I was like oh I'm just gonna sit down and our guide was like no you're not because you're not getting back up if you do so oh, you wow. need to not sit down yeah so
0: like mostly because like you could get frostbite or just like fatigue you're like it, the cold will just make you want to sleep
1: the the cold and also the high altitude because it's right over, over nineteen thousand feet so you're just so exhausted. And he was like, once you sit down, you're not going to want to get up. So you're not sitting down. You know, like what he did not want to sit down. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, but just a little bit. He's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow.
0: So you made it to the top.
1: Yeah. And wow. It was, I, and I cried when I got to the top because it was like the sun was coming out of the clouds. It was absolutely stunning. And this was like seven days of trekking, you know? And so I was just ecstatic to be up at the top and it was just gorgeous. And you could see the clouds. So you were like above the clouds. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah.
0: So how did that, just that moment, because I know you have so many other stories, (laughs) but like, how did that change things for you?
1: It made me realize that if I put my mind to anything, I can do it. Um, I also realized just how much beauty there is in the world. Like, I mean, I've seen a lot of beautiful things, but it was just another reminder, you know, that yeah. there's beauty everywhere, no matter where you go, what country. Because also, I've often had people ask me about Africa and they're like, why would you go to Africa? It's not that pretty, you know? I'm mm-hmm. like, you're like, no, you it actually know. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually gorgeous. So, just stigmas people don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, it was one of my favorite trips and go, just going to Tanzania, I went to the safari, I, um, went to the beaches. Like I did a lot of things while there. I think I was there for like a month. Okay. Um, what,
0: like, what did you stunning. see on your safari? Cause I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like, I don't know. Is there, you know? Hippos, like I just think of Jumanji, the movie. <laughs> I'm like, am I going to get eaten by something? And I mean, I'm down to go, but I kind of just, just want to know.
1: There are definitely all kinds of animals. Uh, but if you go with a good group, a good guide, they will keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the scariest two moments were probably one at night, all the animals come out. Mm. So you have to be careful when you go to the bathroom. You're really like, you have to, you have to open up your tent and kind of take a flashlight and flash it around to scare them. <gasps> but it is kind of scary because you open, it's pitch black and you see all these eyes all over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just what? pairs of eyes in the dark. You don't see the animal, just the eyes. And I, I was like, do I really have to pee? And I'm like, You're yeah, like, I really no, pee.
0: I don't. I can hold it till morning. <laughs>
1: I just that's that's when bathroom. you need to pack
0: one of those. Um, they have those things that you can pee in in like oh, yeah. your tent, like for girls. Like I've never had one, but I know some of my friends have had them. And I'm like, at that point, I would probably carry that with me.
1: Yes. I didn't think about it, but if you ever go, I would highly recommend that.
0: Okay. Um, perfect.
1: Good to, yeah. like good to think about. <laughs> yeah.
0: What did you see? Did you see like lions and stuff?
1: Saw everything. Um, saw lions, saw um, impalas, saw buffalo. Saw um, we saw most of the big five. The one that we didn't see was the rhino. So we saw giraffes and elephants and yeah. Wow, did you see um hyenas? Yes. I don't
0: know why. I really love the animal hyena, which I know sounds really weird because people are like, you know, they. Those have a bad reputation, but they are—they seem very like interesting, very, very interesting animals. Yeah, we we
1: saw lots of stuff and up close. Like there was a baby cub, cub lion just literally a foot next to our jeep, just wow. walking by. Yeah,
0: that's amazing.
1: So you get to see everything up close. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah.
0: Ah. So cool. Okay. We got way off track, but I loved it so much. (laughs) So let's backtrack. You had just quit Clorox. You were thinking of going to Tanzania and then what exactly went
1: down there? (laughs) So I always believe things happen for a reason, right? Like so, Mm -hmm. I ended up not going. So the day that I found flights that I was about to buy, I got a message on LinkedIn from a recruiter from Google. And it was for this amazing role. It was a global marketing role. I'd be leading a team. I would get to travel around the world. And I would be using marketing to help people lead happier, healthier lives through food. And when he contacted me, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is a real role? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Fast forward, 16 days later, I had the offer. Two weeks after that, I was starting my new, new role. And so my going away party became a, oh, let's just hang out party. You know, I had to call my landlord and be like, hey, just kidding, can I actually keep my apartment? So things <laughs> changed really, really fast. And the reason, I mean, there were a couple of reasons I stayed. One was, honestly, I was scared shitless, right? Like leaving uh-huh. everything to go off in the world. And the second reason was, this was such an amazing opportunity I'd never heard of a job like that. I was like, you know, worst case scenario, I'm going to try it out. If I hate it, I'm going to leave. And so I did make a pact with myself though. I said five years max, that's how long I'm going to stay. And then I really have to do this trip and go volunteer and travel the world because it's been a dream of mine. But I just didn't realize I was, um, I think i was maybe around like 33 or so at the time when i had said this and i didn't realize in your mid-30s as a woman it's like a pivotal moment you have a lot of big decisions so during those five years i got a husband so like before I was single. And then all of a sudden I got a husband and husbands changed plans and he was pursuing his own venture and I became the sole breadwinner. And I just felt pressure like, oh, I need to be the stable one. I have to be reliable and responsible and I'll just wait my turn to live my dreams. right? And then my career at Google was going really well. And as you can imagine, everyone was like, why would you leave? there's so many people trying to get into the company. Are you nuts? Like, you know, you're at a pivotal point in your career. If you leave, you're going to ruin your chance to move up the ladder. And then one of the biggest shoulds that I heard during that time was, you're at the prime baby making age. Oh God. You need to just have babies because no. <laughs> you're going to regret it if you don't. And I had so many people. I mean, it was my parents, my family, but also just friends and colleagues. Like everybody had an opinion. And my husband and I, we weren't ready yet. He he did want to travel too. And so we decided to freeze our embryos. And that was our backup plan. And we figured we could, you know, decide later. But then there was a mishap at the facility where the embryos were stored. What do you mean a mishap? So there... They don't even know to this day, but the tank that was storing our embryos, the temperature dropped and nobody caught it. And they're not sure why the temperature dropped. And so they basically told me, we don't know the viability of your embryos until you plan to use them. Because some of some of, some of the embryos in there were viable, some were not, some of the eggs were, some were not, and they just didn't know.
0: Oh, my and God. So, you're like, you asshole. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and better yet, they sent an email on a Sunday and you call them and they're closed. No. I woke up. I still remember. I woke up in bed, 9 a.m., got this email. And I'm like, uh, is this real? Is it a Yeah. You're scam? like, this is
0: how you communicate this with yeah. me?
1: What is wrong mm-hmm. with you? And they weren't even open. You could, you. could, They gave you a number to call them. I called and they were like, oh, we're not open today. You could call back on Monday. And I'm like, Screw
0: you! Yeah, you're like perfect way to give me a mini panic attack on my Sunday morning and not yeah. even be able to handle it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty much the point where I, I, I honestly hit rock bottom. Right? Wow. Um, yeah. I, I'm not religious, but at that moment, I was like, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a sign I should just buy a white picket fence and settle down and do normal people stuff and. And so I ended up, that was kind of the the start of my long self-help journey. And so for the next probably seven or eight months, I read every single book out there. And, you know, every Brene Brown book, all of those books that tell you to discover yourself and, you know, figure out what matters, all those things. And part of the reason I re- chose to read books first was honestly, there was a part of me that felt ashamed for even saying like, oh, I'm not happy with my life and I want something different. Because on the outside, everything was great. Great husband, great job, great family, great friends. Like what could I possibly want, right? Like there's so many other people that have it worse off, right? And I just felt selfish. So I didn't really tell many people about what was happening and I just read. And reading didn't really help. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of cool insights, but I'm still like, I don't know if I should leave and go have babies, leave to travel or just stay and have babies. So at that point, uh, my best friend told me about ayahuasca. Do you know what ayahuasca is? Oh, yeah,
0: girl. I've had <laughs> I've had two
1: ceremonies so far. Okay. So,
0: yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: So for audience members who might not know what it is, it's basically uh, medicinal plants, Uh, Peruvians use it. And um, they have ceremonies, a shaman, all that good stuff. And so my best friend told me about it. I had no clue what it was at the time. And she's like, yeah, there's this thing. It's called ayahuasca. It's supposed to give you clarity. And I was like, that's what I need. I need clarity. (laughs) Did you do it in Peru? I did. I Uh, I went down I'm so jealous.
0: I did mine yeah. in, uh, in Joshua Tree, but um, we were supposed to do a five day ceremony in Peru. But the day we were supposed to leave for the ceremony was the day everything shut down for COVID. So I was like, oh shit. So it was Where actually, were you going to go? We were going to go March, like, I think it was 13th or something, 2020. It was like mm-hmm. right when the airports shut down. Cause, like, at was first, it in Cusco? Uh, what's that?
1: Was it in the city Cusco?
0: Yeah, Sacred Valley. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
1: Cuz I yeah, that's exactly where I went for a 5-day Cusco. What was the, the place the, called that you went to? Ethnicas.
0: I'll get the info from you later, but okay. I definitely want a recommendation. I mean, maybe I'm okay. supposed to go there.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a sign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so yeah, I ended up going. I did the 5-day ayahuasca ceremony down in Cusco. And um, tell
0: me the secrets. <laughs> well,
1: well, they always say Mother ayahuasca gives you what you need, not what you want. Oh, God, that's true. (laughs) And so (laughs) what I wanted was, do I just have babies or do I travel? And that's not what I got. I got a lot of really great insight. Like one of the the main pieces of thing that I got was, um, you know, I learned just how heavy my armor was. So if you met me three, five years ago, you would not have heard any of this. I had the thickest armor. I was this like strong woman that didn't need anybody's help and I was not vulnerable and I don't ask you for help. Like that was me. Right. And through ayahuasca, I realized that that's not actually strength. It takes more courage to be vulnerable, to be whole, to ask for help. Um, So that was one of the things I got from one of of the evenings of the ceremony. It's a big thing it is completely changes
0: your personality to figure something else out like that and your mental fitness and like all the things.
1: So totally. It, It definitely, and it was very life changing for my relationship with my husband because prior to that, you know, he, most men want to feel needed. And he was like, you know, I wish you would just need me. And I'm like, well, isn't it better that I want you and that I don't need you? Like, I don't need you. I don't need anybody, you know? And, and so there was always that tension in the relationship. Um, he's and he's like, so, let me
0: hunt for you, babe. Jeez.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. He wanted to hunt for me and care for me and hold mm-hmm. me. And I was like, I don't need that. And so that just even that small insight shifted our relationship so much because now, like, I allow him into my space and to take care of me and to be the the hunter, you know? Um, That's really beautiful. Thank you.
0: It's it's really amazing. Like I'm, I, I just, I love ayahuasca for these reasons. And like, you know, again, for anybody listening, I've had people ask me like, well, how do you know you're supposed to do it? And I'm like, because it will tap you on the shoulder until you answer the call. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting tapped on the shoulder, don't go do it. Like you probably don't need to. But if for something like somebody's bringing it up to you, if you keep finding yourself wanting to research it or like getting this pull to go do it, it's usually because you're meant to.
1: Yeah. It's it's about following the intuition. Mm, Totally. and, And not the rational mind. Yeah. Right. Like we often try to think with our rational mind and we rationalize the heck out of things. And the rational mind was not created for happiness. You know, like we, we've forgotten the intuitive mind. Yeah.
0: That's, yeah, completely agree. So we're starting to find it. We, yeah, we, we have some. Yeah. Some it's like are. we're coming back into like a matriarchy. I feel Mm -hmm. like we're starting to use these like feminine parts of ourselves that I think have been a little bit dormant.
1: Yeah. I mean, even Albert Einstein, this is one of my favorite quotes. He said, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. And we have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Wow. And this is Albert Einstein, one of the most brilliant, you, you you would think he's only rational, right? But- he understood the power of following your intuition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So intuition led you to ayahuasca. <laughs> it did. There was,
1: <laughs> there was something – it was interesting. Like she said ayahuasca and something just called me to it and immediately yeah. like – so I went down. I didn't get the answer, as I mentioned, Dina. You know, as I said. Um, got all this other great stuff. So I returned home and I was kind of desperate because – 5 year point was coming up, you know, and everyone's like, "Yeah, you're getting older," and there was just all this pressure. And um I still remember I was sitting with I was having lunch with a coworker, and my coworker started talking to me about coaching. I had no idea what coaching was at the time. And you know, part of my rational mind said, "How could somebody else help me figure it out?" Like, you know, I understand plant medicine helping me figure it out, but I'm smart. I can figure this shit out myself. Like I've always figured stuff out. Right. But I was so desperate. So I was like, fine, I'll give it a go. I'll get a coach. And honestly, I'm so glad I did because it's my coach that helped me to peel back the layers of my onion. I always, I always say humans are like onions deep down at our core. We have our values. We know the things that matter. It's it's part of our intuition, right? Like we know all that about ourselves. And then we have all the layers of the onion, which I call the shoulds. And they get layered on by parents, society, teachers, managers, like just telling you who you should and shouldn't be, what should Mm -hmm. and shouldn't matter, how you should and shouldn't act, like all those things. Yeah. And so she's the one who helped me peel back all those layers. And I realized two things. One is... I need to quit my job at Google and pursue this dream because if I don't, I'm going to regret it. Mm -hmm. Right. If I, and even if I stay, I'm not guaranteed kids. Like, no, that's not even in my control. And so I have to go do what's right for me. And this is what's right for me. And so I made the decision that I'm going to leave Google at my five year point and I'm going to travel. And then the other decision I made is I want to be a coach. I want to do what my coach did for me, for other people, because being stuck for so long, feeling like I couldn't talk to anybody, just absolutely sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that, and, and again, like things happen for a reason. I looked at coaching schools. I really wanted to go to a repeatable school that teaches you really how to coach. And there was one school down in Santa Barbara, they had one more, um, course that finished at, in December, 2019, which was my five-year point at Google. And so I interviewed, I enrolled, got in, finished coaching school. And then January 2020 was when I quit Google, sold everything, and took off for Ghana.
0: Wow. January 2020, what a time. Right, right before COVID. Nobody <laughs> knew what was going to go down. It's so crazy. Mm-mm. Okay. And then I have also have to ask why Ghana? Like for me, like in the <laughs> traveling world, I'm like, that sounds so random, but of course it's not, you know, and I'm sure it's so amazing there. What mm-hmm. made you gravitate toward Ghana?
1: So for rational reasons, we picked Western Africa. I'll pull, I'll start. Um, we really wanted to spend like six, seven months exploring Africa in general, And we were thinking we would either start on the Eastern side and go down and around or on the Western side and go down and around to the East. And for logistical, rational reasons, because both my husband and I are coaches, time zone wise, most of our clients were in the US. So we're like, Western Africa makes more sense for us to at least adjust, get used to the different time zones and then figure it out from there. So that's where we focused. The problem with trying to find a solid nonprofit is that most of them i wouldn't say most but a lot of them are not real nonprofits so for mm. and, and you have to be really really careful and so during my research i real i learned all this stuff right like for example places that call themselves orphanages are not really orphanages they are people knowing that westerners want to come and help and feel good so they kidnap kids They start this orphanage and when you're not around, they physically, sexually abuse the kids, you know, like, um, and so there's, it's all just fake. And so you have to really do your research. Oh my God. How do you
0: know the difference? How can you find, how do you see the difference or how can you watch out for it, I guess?
1: it's it's um the best way honestly is to find somebody that's in africa that you can trust that could find someone local because also the other thing is that the small organizations that truly need help don't have the capabilities to go and like start a volunteer organization and to like market to the western world right but people that are on the ground in africa are connected to the organizations that truly need help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so,
1: you know, it was honestly a lot of digging, a lot of talking to people. Um, I'm very grateful for my network at Google because we have offices in Africa. And so I started contacting all those people and asking them for, for uh, like, you know, do you have any idea of some nonprofit in Western Africa? I'm very passionate about working with women. And that was how it started.
0: Wow. So, when you finally got there and you finally found the right nonprofit, uh I guess what was it like to work with those women, and how did all of that unfold and um I just want to hear kind of about the stories from those women that sounds mm-hmm. so amazing, so
1: we ended up working for a breast cancer nonprofit um and it was started by this brilliant female surgeon. she's like such a big heart and like loves to hug and she's loves to give and give back and you know take care of other people and so she started this um breast cancer hospital and this nonprofit in Ghana because when she was a surgeon working for men they didn't want to do anything with breast cancer and and a lot of reasons so in Ghana there's a lot of misinformation um people think that once you get breast cancer, it's, it's a death sentence. So your husbands will leave you, your family oh, wow. will leave you, you won't have a support system. And they're also very religious. So for a lot of women, when they first feel lumps or you know realize that they have breast cancer, their pastors will put them into what's called a, a prayer camp, where essentially you go there and they just pray for you. And it's not until like a year later and your breast is 20 kilos, which is like 30, 40 pounds, you know, then you realize, oh, this isn't working. I probably need science. And by then it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. For many, it's too late. And so the work that we were doing, it was twofold. One was going out into the community. So the communities, the rural communities are still run by um, chiefs. And so it's about building relationships with the chiefs. And then once you have the relationship and you explain to them the, the benefits of what you're trying to do, then they'll allow you to go into the community, host an informational session with everybody in the village. And then we are able to then do screenings. Wow. Right there for all the women on there and teach them how to self-examine. Right. Um, and so that was something that we were working on just for education and awareness and then the other component was then, um, there was a survivor group. So women that had been saved by, by the hospital, um, and it was, um, survivors and alumni of, of, you know, the, the hospital. And the goal was to have them partner with newly diagnosed and also provide them with support. So, you know, newly diagnosed and surviving women providing them the support because they didn't have support since their family all left them. And and so that was kind of the two-prong thing that we were supposed to do when we first got there. Right. And we did a little bit of it and then COVID hit and we had to pause everything. So couldn't go into the villages anymore. Um and over there, people don't have Zoom like this. So it's not like we could get all the survivors and the newly diagnosed onto Zoom and be like, oh, let's do it virtually. Right. So we ended up having to pivot and we spent majority of the time uh, setting up the organization as a nonprofit in the US. So we set up their 501c3 status. We um, ran their first fundraiser and raised like $10,000 for them. And then we helped them to systematize a lot of processes so that they could do this on their own.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. It's almost like the pause was needed in order to expand outward in the way that was mm-hmm. going to benefit the world in a bigger way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really yeah. powerful. So that how was what we totally How was it getting stuck over there? <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you was, know, on a personal level,
1: it was. Honestly, it was a gift. So a lot of people, when they hear that I got stuck there, they're like, oh, that must have sucked being stuck in Ghana.
0: Right. But honestly,
1: it was it was a gift in many ways. So for one thing, when I was at Google, I used to travel all the time for work. Like I was on an airplane every two weeks. I think in 2019, I traveled around the planet six and a half times. Wow. Because Google timeline tells you how much you've traveled. So that's how, how much I, I traveled on an airplane around the planet. And I always said, I wish that I could just be somewhere quiet, not have to get an airplane and just have time to do things I like, like reading and writing and, you know, yoga and sleep and being in Ghana, that gave me exactly that. We were in a a city called Kumasi and there wasn't very much. And so I got to do exactly that. And then the other thing that I would say was a gift was I rediscovered my love for writing and bringing people together. And, you know, because I had the time and space, I wasn't busy traveling everywhere. I ended up um, writing a lot more, sharing that writing, um, and also creating groups because I realized there were so many people that were feeling lonely. So I started creating Mm -hmm. groups and bringing people together. And that led to the unintentional growth of my coaching practice you know, people discovered my writing. They loved it. They were really inspired. And they're like, I want to learn more. I want to talk to you, you know. Um, so in many ways, it was a gift. And, and and then also my husband and I, we were stuck in such a small place and we learned to live together really, really well. And oh,
0: that's so beautiful. It just strengthened
1: our relationship. Like the only way you could escape each other was to go to the bathroom.
0: Oh, yeah. COVID (laughs) either ruined a lot of relationships or made them stronger. It was like not a whole lot of in-between happening. It was one or the other.
1: So we really learned to live with each other in a small space, and I think that that ability to do so strengthened our relationship significantly.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So what time, like at what point did you know, okay, it's safe to fly back or time to leave, like my work here is done? What was the plan after that?
1: Well, borders, borders were closed, mm-hmm. um, so we couldn't even leave if we wanted to. Wow. We had originally planned on just staying there for three or four months, and we ended up there for seven and a half months. And so Ghana's borders were completely closed. Uh, they reopened in September of 2020. Okay. When they reopened, that was amidst the elections here. That yeah. was when COVID was just really bad over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, since I don't even end? know
0: where you are right now. Oh, I'm in Ghana. Oh, right now? Right now, yeah. <laughs> I'm in Maryland. Okay, Maryland. I was like, yes. I didn't even ask her like, where is she right now? Like, I know that you started in but I was like, I didn't even ask her that. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: So, so, um, yeah, it's 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 full circle. So, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, September 2020 borders opened you know we only had a backpack on our backs we had sold everything here we didn't have anything so we're like America's chaos why don't we never really got to travel so why don't we just you know live nomadically we can work from anywhere as long as there's internet so we ended up there weren't many options so we looked at a list of what countries are allowing Americans in and it was a very small list, so we ended up um, in Serbia, which was absolutely amazing. I love, okay. highly recommend it. Um, lived in, and, and from there we ended up moving different places every few months, and so we went work a little. Serbia a little. is amazing. Um, cost of living, the food, the people are super friendly, and it is beautiful. Like they have so many beautiful outdoor national parks. Um, Yeah, like just – it's a – we even talked about moving there one day.
0: Wow. Very cool. So So you guys traveled and then at what point did our borders open back up, I guess? When were – when was America cleaned up? I don't even know. I think it was like January
1: 2021 Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I don't recall. I mean, we had no plans of returning immediately. We were kind of like, you know, we'll just mm-hmm. see what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we were moving about living Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro, Albania, oh, I've Portugal. I've always wanted to go to
0: Croatia. Italy.
1: I absolutely recommend all these places.
0: Okay. And,
1: and so we were just kind of moving around. Um, and we had no intention of returning, but in, in February of 2021 um, you know I started hearing comments from everyone again because now I'm 40 and everyone was like you know you're 40 you should really think about the children thing you know like even if you start trying now it'll take you months if not years you'll need to go through IVF so you guys should really start trying so my husband and I we were talking and we're like well if it takes years, we should probably start now and maybe in a year I'll get pregnant. Um, and if not, we'll go back for IVF. So February 2021, we're like, let's start trying. Two months later, I got pregnant. There it is. <laughs> Full circle, right? Because that, that was the thing that was holding me back from uh-huh. leaving. And, the, the and thing look is, at the timing I... of
0: it too. It was like so <laughs> magically perfect. Like, yeah
1: it was, I, and I had listened to so many, like what other people had said that in my mind, I was like, that's impossible. So like, I honestly, cause when you first get pregnant for a lot of women, you get tenderness in your breast, right? So when I first started getting symptoms of, of early pregnancy, I didn't think it was possible cause it was only two months in. And so I thought that I had breast cancer. Oh no. Like there was tenderness and my booze were bigger. And, Cause my, I mean, that's also why I went to Ghana and volunteered at a breast cancer nonprofit is I have a family history of it. And so I started freaking out and I was like, you know, it, it taught, I went to my husband and I'm like, I think I might have breast cancer. You know, like it just hurts and you know, it's growing and you know, like I think I need to see a doctor. And he was like, maybe you're just pregnant. And I'm like, that's impossible. It's only been <laughs> two months, and everybody says you can't get pregnant so fast at forty. And took the test, took it twice actually because I didn't believe the first one, and I was pregnant. And so that was when we were like, okay, well, we should probably return home at least to be closer to our, our family, so you know, grandparents can see see their grandchild and stuff. And so that was that was uh, May when we started talking about when to return, and then we returned. Mid August, so I've only been back in the US for two and a half months, and so how many months pregnant around. are you? I am twenty-seven weeks due girl. in early February. February Amazing.
0: 1st. Do you care if yeah. I ask if it's a boy or girl?
1: Uh, we don't even know. We're keeping it a surprise. Yep. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Wow. What yeah. a story. That's like your story is amazing. It really just makes you realize, like, it's okay to trust. It's okay to trust. It's okay to really trust yourself. And it's hard, but is it is like that quote that you read, um, you know, and it's, it's about kind of drowning out the voices around you and trying to use the logical brain all the time to make our decisions. And it's like, well, what is my intuition telling me right now? If my intuition was guiding me toward having a baby at the age of 33, you would probably would have felt it. You know, you would have been pulled to it. But wow, that's really amazing.
1: Yeah, and and probably the best advice I got because um, I knew nothing about pregnancy. I knew nothing. Like, I hired a fertility coach because I hate doing research and like trying to understand all the. And his best advice to me was, "Don't focus on getting pregnant. Don't focus on pregnancy. Just enjoy life. Have fun. You know." <laughs> And it will happen. And and the thing that holds a lot of couples back that are trying so hard is it they turn it into a job. Yeah, they want to be in control of it. They want to you know do everything they can. And the stress of that, for one, it turns it into a job. And two, it causes a lot of stress. Stress is actually not good for you, you know, and, and for a lot of reasons. But definitely doesn't help with pregnancy. And exactly. You know, and and it just the way that I think about life in general and pregnancy and all of those things is there's very little that we are in control of. Mm -hmm. And I always use the analogy of surfing, right? You like, there are different waves and, and the wind will come at you, but you cannot control the waves or the wind. What you can control is how you ride the waves. Yeah. And so, learning to be able to ride the waves that come your way instead of trying to control those waves.
0: I really love that. It's that's really where it's like the universe can be a shit storm, but as long as you're mm-hmm. mentally fit, then you're able to get through it. You know. Yes. Yeah. That's that's. Thank you so much for sharing your story. This of was course. like it was really really powerful. I I, I just like I really love talking to you. Um, <laughs> I do have a couple more questions before I let you go. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see. I always ask this. What would you say your magical superpowers are?
1: My magical superpowers. I would say that my magical superpowers are – there's two that I can think of. One is my ability to hold space and make people feel safe and a sense of belonging. Mm. I've always been really good at that. That's, that's what's helped me throughout my whole career. It's what's helped me build the friendships. Like I have, there's a group of us, seven girls. We were friends since elementary school. Three of us went to kindergarten together. The newest one joined at age 10 and right. Like I've always been able to continue building, maintaining friendships because I just make people feel safe and a sense of belonging. And so that's definitely one of my magical superpowers. And the other is um, my ability to turn dreams into reality, both my own and others, and helping people to realize their dreams. I I was just talking to my husband about this the other day because I was reflecting on this past year and I was like, you know, when I put things out into the world, they just kind of happen. You know, like when I say I want to do something, it just kind of happens. Like I don't have a plan. I don't do Gantt charts or any of that. I just put it out in the world. And so that would be another one of my superpowers.
0: Those are pretty good superpowers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that a lot. I, I don't really have to do anything, but everything just happens. It's perfect. <laughs> it's definitely magical. Um, and then for those listening, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn is Amy, A-M-Y-C, as in cat, Y-I-P. They can find me on Facebook, Amy Yip Coaching. And of course, my website, they can visit com. And for those listening, you can also get uh, my nine rules for remarkable women workbook for free on my website.
0: Ooh, I will be downloading that for sure. <laughs> awesome. And before I let you go, um, do you have anything left over to share with those that are listening and made it to the end? And, um, I just want to thank you one more time before I hand it over to you. This was honestly a really cool conversation. And, um, as a woman mid thirties, I am, you know, very much taking into consideration so much of what you said. Um, and I know a lot of it's really, it's really funny because I just had a conversation with somebody close to me um, about this very same thing about letting go mm-hmm. of the control, about trust, about knowing that there is a real thing such as divine timing. Um, so I really appreciate uh, all your insight.
1: You're so welcome. Yeah. And, you know, to, I, I just want to reinforce the fact that your mindset, not your circumstance makes all the difference in your happiness and success. And there's, there's been even research that says what you're experiencing or what you call your experience, 80% of it comes from your mind. Only 20% is the actual circumstance, which is why two people can be in the same situation or circumstance and be experiencing something very different. And so it really is about your mindset.
0: Wow. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.